0: Hello dear listeners and welcome to Pepney Gallery Art Talk Podcast with me, your host Marlon Pepper. On today's show, I'm speaking with USA Interdisciplinary Artist, Educator, Photographer, and Writer Judith Mizuko. She speaks in depth about her art practice, which includes her passion caring for her horses, gathering mixed materials, and her love of writing. Sit back and enjoy the show. introduce US visual artist Judith Mizuku to Pepney Gallery Artist Podcast Show. Judy is a multidisciplinary artist working in many mediums, photography, video and words. Judy is part of the CAVAN creative community since 2015 and hello Judy I'm pleased to speak with you once again today and a warm welcome from CAVAN. I hope you're well today and how have you been since we last seen you? Oh, I'm so
1: happy to be here, and I'm so happy to be speaking with you. Everything has been well so far. We are safe, we're happy, and we've become pretty much hermits, but it's it's really okay. It's very interesting during this whole time of COVID. I haven't found it particularly motivating or creative, but I have felt, and especially through the Pepney Galleries the shows and exhibitions, I have been able to go back into my whole lexicon of work and photographs and just go back, look at them. And I haven't felt that I had to create anything. I, was not, I didn't have the motivation, but I think you and Pepney Gallery have given especially myself and I'm sure a lot of other artists, just a time to reflect on what you have right now. And that is what I have done during this time.
0: Well, certainly COVID times is a time for reflecting and many people would state that in different parts of their life. I'm going to bring you right back to a time Prior to what we're living in now, with no words like restrictions, social distancing, mask wearing, etc. To a time where travel came freely without too much caution and people could shake hands and hugging was a warm embrace, not only from a family member, but a stranger. Back to a time in 2015 where we first met in Town at the launch of the Landscape and Memories first exhibition. It was a lovely time to meet you and for such an exciting event. You came all the way over from the US to Haven, and we welcomed you with open arms. We were certainly excited to see you there at the opening and just to be there beside your own artworks and to meet our artist community as well. Can you tell me about that time when you saw the call for work for the landscape and memory? Of course, I will just go and I'm going to go back even a little bit further, because when I
1: saw the call and Perhaps I am like many other artists, but I have this one little thing. Uh, When I see a call for art, and I always look for the free, no-fee entries. And I saw that, and I saw it for Kevin, and it was the landscape and memory. And I saw it, and it just clicked with me. Because when I had three photographs that I had taken... The summer before and some friends of mine and I were up on the North Sea in Germany and there was horse racing on the seabed and it was just the most amazing thing that I had ever seen and visually it just just knocked you out and what the most incredible thing was everything was up close personal you saw these animals going you saw the ships in the background, going into Hamburg. And then in a few hours, it was gone. And it was a totally different place. So I thought, oh, this would be just perfect. And when I sent them in to you, you immediately came back. And I thought, wow, there's, it was like, there was a connection with us somewhere immediately, which was just wonderful. And so for the opening, I just, decided we had to go for the weekend to Ireland. You know, there was no, there was no question about it. We were going and it was just, it was a wonderful experience. And I'm so glad that we just did it. And yes, it was a whirlwind weekend, but it was great. And it was so wonderful to go out to cabin and see what a creative community you have there. And everybody was just lovely to us. They were so welcoming. And it was a very, very positive experience. And I mean, it has the people, the way you curated that show was just wonderful because you had the physical pieces. You also had artists from... Argentina, Marta Miranda, yeah. and uh, you could view her pieces. You had, the way you did it, it was really impeccable. And uh, then after the show, I think it was the next day, we had lunch together, and I was just so impressed with what you had done that I thought, well, this just can't go to nothing. It just, like, so much work and so... Uh, many artists had come together with such really special pieces. That's when we started talking and said, you know, why don't we just... Why don't you take it on the road? And I'm sure you thought like, oh, my gosh, what is she talking
0: about? Gosh, yeah, Yeah. we'll be right back. Now, I'm having a look here at the works and just trying to capture back what it was that we saw about your work and what captured it as well, the actual action of the horses. And you could picture the, the sounds of them running through the water. It was just that exciting action. You have a, a panoramic uh, image, yeah, of, was that three different photographs placed together, or was that just in one shot that, that was, was in
1: one shot. one shot i I just hit panorama and clicked it across and I mean that was pure chance, you know that it it came out that way and i it was I was so fortunate.
0: Could you tell me a little bit more about the the event that happened that it's, day, Judy? It's held once a year because
1: there's once a year, the tide is out for a number of hours, enough time for them to hold the event. And it's a huge event that everybody comes and they sit on the beach and on the dunes. And it's it's it is very, very interesting with everybody. There are the people behind. Then there are all the people racing. And you had Different types of racing. They had the thoroughbred racing, which jockeys on their back. They had standard bred racing with them pulling their little, the sulkies. They had ponies racing. And you had all sorts of accidents because you even had on the uh, seabed, you had ambulances out there, you had horses getting loose. I mean, pure mayhem at certain points. And all the time, this had to take place on time because when the tide started coming in, that was it.
0: It's done. I'm just going to bring it back to the panoramic images. It's almost like the horses are walking on water. Just a a little play on the eye there where the ship in the horizon is almost at the same level, two of the horses and the horsemen. It's almost like a mirage.
1: Yes. In a movie, you would see a, a mirage on the, in, the, in the distance. Make It would almost be make-believe water in the mirage. But this is the real water that they would be splashing through. And that mirage, as the day went
0: on, that water came closer and closer and closer to you. It was a really fantastic to have those photographs at the exhibition and then travel to other international countries. It was exciting to still have you on board there, but you're still very much, I'd say, a part of the cabin community here. Can you talk a little bit about your own horses and why you bring it into your artworks? Okay, I live on a horse farm, and a friend of mine
1: who also has horses always reminds me. And she- she always her name is Jackie Morgan and she always says you know not everybody lives the way we do mm-hmm. meaning on a farm in close proximity with animals really we see them morning noon and night you see them good weather bad weather you see them if they're happy sad sick dying it is basically it's a way of life mm-hmm. and it's a way of life that has virtually disappeared over the last two centuries, since the inception of the Industrial Revolution, so many people, their only relationship to animals is to either eat them or wear them. Mm-hmm. And the relationship I have to my animals, they're part of my family, practically. And my, the whole focus of my praxis now is interspecies relationships. And they are really part of me. I carry a camera with me all the time. And when all else fails, I have my cell phone constantly. And I add to my photographs practically daily. And whether it's just like this photograph that I took, it was a selfie of the two of us, you know, just, and this wasn't even on my cell phone. I was just with my little camera. And I just love cameras that fit in the palm of your hand that uh, nothing big, just they're nice and little and they're, they're cute and sexy and you can just touch them and they're there and then you can stuff them in a pocket. But this photograph that you're referring to, the two of us together, our eyes together, that's was for your identity show and my identity uh, now, like the horses and myself we're practically one we really are and it's very exciting to have my sources of inspiration so close at hand there you know it's i don't have to go anywhere i don't have to think too much of where i'm going to go what i'm going to do next all I have to do is you walk outside. I walk down to the barn. The other night, when the horses were being, John was letting the horses from the back field to the front field, I videoed them in slow motion coming up to me. And, you know, it's just, it's wonderful. Now, what I do with that video, I'm not sure right this very second,
0: but it's there and I know it's filed. It's such an intimate selfie because you're both looking at each other. It's that bond. The, The identity exhibition, it really suited that very well. You've lined up on your website podcast references. If anyone is looking for a reference, Judith has made a fantastic reference to each of the artworks that we're speaking about today on her homepage of her website, which we'll reference at the end of the podcast. This piece has a collage of photographs on board, and you have the reins of the horses and quality feed. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Now this, I, I've called it victims of circumstance,
1: and the horses were domesticated about 5,000 years ago, right? And with the domestication, domestication marginalized the horse, and it also had such an effect on their creativity. Man took the horse and put him in a box, literally a box stall, whatever you want to call it, put bars on it, and there is the horse. His creativity is totally marginalized. He is living the way man wants him to live. And the horse was drawn into man's grasp with feed. And that's where I have the quality feed that's taken off the paper feed bags. That's the only thing that why the horse lived, came in to live with man is with feed, all right, with food. Now the horses that you see, the photographs of them, I will have my horse, my horses are out all the time, except when they come into the barn, either to be ridden or driven or groomed and they are all incredibly jealous of each other because they all they're like little kids they all want the attention oh if she's touching him i want her to touch me mm-hmm. if she he he gets a carrot i want that same carrot too so the horses will take and you'll see at the bottom they'll just take the whatever they can get their teeth onto and shake it and just begging for my attention and the the whole piece is on uh, a big board, a piece of particle board. There are paper feed bags superimposed. Then there are my photographs on top of that. And then on top of that uh, is the wood and the iron bars. So it is a, a multi-dimensional piece. Also these old reins, I drilled holes into the top and just drape them through the piece.
0: I can't help but just feel a little bit worrisome with the bars there. Does that go into the history of horses being put into a a barn or, you know, with a closed door? This is a statement
1: about all horses, all right? It's a statement not just about my horses in the barn. It's a statement about all horses, what has been done to their creativity, all right? And if it upsets you, it should upset you a little bit. It really should. It's meant to, it's not a pretty piece. You could see they're shaking the bars with their teeth. You know, they, it's like, they are not happy and they want attention. And there are many horses in the world who are abused, who are slaughtered, who are trafficked. You know, like all the terrible things that can happen to animals happened to horses also and this is really an activist piece it, you it, it really is and emotion that you see in the piece is really taken a step farther with if you look at the bottom that qr code the qr code how that came to pass was this piece was hanging in a gallery in the new jersey and it had been, had been put up, and I took a picture of it, and I sent it to a friend of mine in Netta in Germany who also has horses. And she looked at it and she said, Wow, she said, that is that's just like a video I took this morning. She said, I'll send it to you. And so she sent me the video, and it is of the one of the horses in her barn sticking its tongue out through. The slats in its stall, and when I saw that, I said, "Oh, wow!" And so I took the QR code. We went back to the gallery the next week, and I put it on there so that when somebody came up to this, they could scan it and have a video. And what it, the QR code did to that was take the entire piece to an, a totally different dimension.
0: It's kind of a humorous piece, too. Can you talk a little bit about the humor? It, it is fun. It's, it's a fun piece, that, the little video.
1: And it also, the horses, you can take it back to the photographs of the horses, that they are also rather funny, too, because they have their noses squeezed in different ways and as if they're just making faces at you. So you can take it as a very serious activist piece, or you can take this as them just being these silly bozos pushing their noses against you, like, look at me, look at me, come on, come on. And that's exactly what the the video does, too. And it's just like, come on, look at me, look at me. I'm sticking my tongue out. Uh, You can
0: see it, can't you? So you can take it both ways. That was for our signature piece exhibition that you had those two artworks included. There was a further piece that you did show with us and it's a completely different piece. It was your sculptural piece entitled Sisters. It's uh, really, it's a self-portrait of myself
1: and my sister, which I had done a while ago. And this is one of those pieces that I say that you'll do and you just put on the side. And then when you had that one call, And I thought, you know, this is, this really, it's perfect. And it would really be really a nice memory of my sister, who I lost during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. It was, she didn't die from COVID. It it was a cancer, but it was a piece that was, it reflects Mm wabi-sabi and not only in this piece, but. All my artwork reflects the uh, whole philosophy of the Japanese wabi sabi—that it's the ungorgeous, the unfinished, the imperfect, and uh, ever changing. And uh, so this this piece was said it was very personal, but it, it was nice to be able to uh, to show it. And it's, it just, it was, like I said, it was very personal to me. So thank you for being able to, for letting me exhibit that.
0: It was for our nude affiliation and portraiture show. The sculptural piece took center stage. Certainly it had an impact. It's just a beautiful piece. The reference of the photograph is on Judy's website. If you want to state your website for the listeners. Certainly it's m A-Z-Z-U-C-C-O dot com. That's perfect. Thank you so much for that. And I suppose we've covered all of the pieces that you showed at Petney Gallery. So Just bring up what you're currently working on at the minute or your talk process around current work that you're making that we possibly haven't seen or future ideas for any upcoming shows. Sure. I have two or three pieces that have been percolating for a while.
1: and. I always think about my artwork as uh, almost like my cooking, that you'll take out a pot and you'll put something in and you'll add something else and it'll start to cook and percolate a little bit more. And then that figure out what else you'll put in. Well, I usually collect lots of hair, soil, dirt, guinea hen feathers, horse hoof clippings, and other little bits and pieces of harness and sometimes it's pretty sometimes it's the color is good sometimes it's really not nice at all but there's something about it that i really like and other pieces there's just a memory of it it evokes a memory that i, I like so i will just take these pieces and put them either in the uh, barn or put them in my studio and what I have working on now is it's a piece with uh, the shuttle hook. Now a shuttle hook is an old; it's a colonial tool that was made to use rugs and perhaps even saddle blankets. Well, I have pieces of horsehair that I have threaded through the shuttle hook, and I am putting them or. I, I'm not going to say weaving them in. I am sewing them in with this shuttle hook onto a large piece of canvas bag. And it was a feed bag. And I am using that to map the progress of the horses on the aisle of the barn. And you can just use it to shuttle hook it a little way. And then you'll have to put more in and put more in. But it just, to me, it's the, the juxtaposition of the, these heavy lines with the lighter lines that are just kind of frayed off at the ends, that really, they're very inviting to the eye. I am not sure what else I will add to that, but that is one I'm working on. The other one I'm working on started with a piece of, and this one I'm calling Proof of domestication. Okay. I started with a piece of terracotta clay that I just liked the the feel of it. I it was just flat, it's rolled out. I fired it. I put a little glaze on it, and it sat on a shelf for quite a while. And I had been going and pulling out some burlap, and it just it looked like two of them put together, I thought would work well. And my eventual Idea is when I figure out what I'm going to put the burlap on, which will hold everything together, I'm going to shatter the clay and that will be superimposed on the burlap. Now, the shattered clay, what that signifies is about 10 years ago, pottery was found on the steppes of Russia, which is right in now, it's present day Kazakhstan. And inside this pottery was mare's milk. The pottery was found to be about 5,000 years old or even maybe a little bit older. And the whole sequence of thought was if there is mare's milk in these pots that is uh, 5,000 years old that is when the first horses must have been domesticated
0: because nobody goes around milking wild horses. Interesting. The inflow between you working with the materials and bringing it back to the history of the horses is just outstanding. How do you feel working with so many different materials and then placing them together? It's the materials.
1: And the artists that I have looked at and I see that, get as excited as I do. It was the Spanish artist, uh, Antoni Tapias, Mm -hmm. and that has the matter, and it just, he had such wonderful texture and all the things that he used in his quote-unquote matter. Now, the other artists that have influenced me was not a visual artist, per se, Mm -hmm. was Jorge Luis Borges, the Argentine writer, Mm. who uh, wrote the short story, The Aleph, right? The Aleph is the center of the universe, according to Borges. Now, I took that a little bit further, and the center of the universe for both myself and my horses and animals is the isle of my barn, okay? And... From that, I went on the next step with Borges was his other short story, Exactitudes in Science, in which he made a map to scale of the uh, province of Buenos Aires, the entire big province. And I'm thinking, all right, now we take this, the isle of my barn to the next level of making a map of the aisle of the barn. And this was the probably the biggest, most the piece that really took me far outside my comfort zone. I took dozens and dozens of feed bags, cut them apart and then placed them together with packing tape. And it's a huge piece. It's uh, four meters wide by 12 meters long, and it is drawn completely to scale with everything that is on the aisle of the barn, from the stall doors to the tack boxes to the, tack, the blanket boxes, the ladder going up to the hayloft, the hydrant for the water, the buckets for the water, the uh, hay stall, the feed stall. And then, first, I drew all these in black. I just drew it in black marker and then painted the paths of the animals, meaning the first was the horse. I had a halter that I dipped in the paint and drew where we would be going. And the dog's collar, again, dipped in paint where the dog would go, the guinea hens, their feathers, the cats, and where everything came together was between of course the water and the hay and the feed that was the confluence of all their travels
0: there's a question around the scale of these particular works your ideas around the scale that the scale and the size is dictated by the piece
1: itself mm. and it just starts. the If I am pulping feedback and I'm pressing that into the bricks on the aisle of the barn, that goes just by your own personal feel and how big it gets would be as big as you feel that it needs to be, all right? And then others... I have sought out really large feed bags and put them together for when I was using the aisle as my studio, and one horse, my stallion, Luc Jean, was such a wonderful collaborator. He stood on cross ties, and this wonderful horse let me just take his tail and dip it into, I, I used tempera paint for that so I could just wash it out easily. And I mapped his aisle walkings and wanderings. And that was a big piece because he's a, he was a really big horse. And to have this big presence on a really tiny little piece really wouldn't work. And he needed a large presence. So that's why I had them opened up really large it's quite coarse the hair. It's, it's very very coarse and it's mm-hmm. very strong and it's interesting because each horse has uh it's just like people if they grow really long big wonderful tails well then there are others that have little skinny, little dinky tails. But luckily, my horses have these really long tails that really twice a year, you have to cut off large, like at least a foot off them at the bottom. Because otherwise, either they'll step on them or they'll get them tangled in something. Mm -hmm. So to cut it off at the bottom is not a big deal. And but then for the really long ones, when you're combing their tails with, you can just they will just pull out. You'll have a number of different ones, and it's really like when you said they're very coarse. There's another piece uh, that I'm working on right now that I have pulped feed bag, and then just draping, and sometimes knotting and making the loops with the horsehair and just laying it on it, and the lines that are produced are just. So wonderful and eye-catching.
0: Is that your reference five, is it, there, Judy, yeah, on I your have. website? Yes, yes. That, what, the third one down? I can see the kind yeah. the of swirls. You can even see the coarseness of it, too. And just on the second reference there, what is that, too? That's the shuttle hook I was referring to before. And you hold it on either
1: side. You, you can see the little indents for your thumb. We mm-hmm. we would hold it, yes. and I had it threaded through the the needle, and you would just hold it upright and push it into the uh, material, and you have to uh, stretch it so it's it has it has some stiffness to it, and you just can just go along and do that, but I thought that was a good tool to use to get this horsehair
0: onto the the muslin. Have you platted a little bit there too, or is that just a stitch that you've created just on the first image? The very first one, Mm -hmm. that is what it, that's what it looks like after you, you go click, 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 pushing it in. And that is the trail that it makes it's almost mapular you have a hand on all this equipment like for a number of years with the feed bags when did you decide i could do something with this is that your tactile sense to it and decide i'm definitely going to do something with this and then start gathering them exactly
1: The i said before some things will sit on a shelf Mm -hmm. for years it's crazy but they'll just be there but they, they're they by themselves, but they need the next ingredients mm-hmm. to make things happen. And that's just when, let's say, I see the feed bag, that piece of muslin, and then I had the horse hair. And it's re- it gets crazy around here because I'll keep, uh, when I cut pieces of t- off the tail, I'll keep them. In folders, and I'll put them in the down at the barn, and then I'll c- bring them up here, and I'll put them in a basket, and then I'll put them in a drawer. So you have all this stuff, and but when all of a sudden one thing comes together and it starts, they all fall into place. Like I can just go and you drag these things out, and you say, okay, now now this is going to happen. Like the with the the piece with the the shuttle hook, I have some old other old pieces of wood that I think that I'm going to combine with other pieces of harness mm-hmm. and that will come together. But it all, it's as if one material speaks to the next mm-hmm. and they'll say, come on, let's go, you know, we can do this thing right now. And that's really what happened with is, or is happening with the, the clay with the burlap. And it's just, and it's sometimes it's just the way the burlap is cut. And put on the side, or I'll lay it on the table, and then you'll say, "Okay, now that's it. It's it's your time." The sixth image dying, the glaze on a clay piece. That's the one that is going to be shattered, and play and put on the uh, the burlap to signify the uh, pottery with the mare's milk in it.
0: Wow. And with glazes, when you work with glazes, are you quite mathematical in how to mix them? Would you leave it to chance or are you quite particular with the result of the glaze that you're going to come out with? Absolutely no. No prior planning. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it
1: just happens. Okay. And, uh, you know, the the piece itself, it just, it felt good when it was being rolled out. And then with the glaze, I had seen previous this one glaze being used before, and I, I just liked it. And it, it felt good. And I, I think that is why Wabi-sabi to me is my mantra because it's almost the lack of planning
0: produces the most wonderful results. You have some lovely images of the horses. One piece you did show for Pethney Gallery it was a lovely kind of a meadow. Can you go through podcast reference four for me and uh, a bit about that work? Yes, that was for The Secret Garden. All right. But
1: this piece, I just, I love the look of the perspective. That's basically it because the horses are so big and especially this black one. He is, a, he's a quite large boy and the super imposition of the flowers on top of them, which these flowers look very large up close, but they are these tiny things. And I just loved the way they both work together with, with the perspective on that.
0: You certainly do use filters at all, or kind of black and white and just color, or is that something that interests you? Do you know, I don't use, like, I don't Photoshop anything. I don't even have
1: Photoshop because I don't, I don't want to get involved with that. Mm -hmm. I want my pieces just to happen by themselves and to be what they are at that very instant. I will use adding a little light, you know, as if you would in in a dark room. You would add light. I just like a raw, honest photograph that just speaks for itself. And my other one, since we're talking about ones that really are exciting, There's that one, there's that one of the nose, and there's one of those lips. Then there's one with, there's a a close-up of a horse, and then there's a smaller horse in the background. I think that's one of my all-time favorite photographs that you see. And this is actually my horse Wilma and her son in the background. That's Berto, his name is Libertador. And I just loved the perspective of her eye and she was right there in front of me and then he is it's almost a totally different place because it's a different color and none of that color is added it is just the way it was and that's what I love about the photographs that I end up printing because we have I have tons of them you'll just go through them and you pick your favorites. And then there's this other one, here. okay, since we're talking about these, that one right underneath of the hoof and the dog in the background. Mm-hmm. And I just love that one. And it's one of my horse's feet, he's standing on the aisle. Mm-hmm. And our dog is just almost a ghost in the background, which she did become eventually. But it's like, that's the kind of thing that you look at it and you say, wow, you know, is that like, how did that happen? But it, it, I like that one. The other one, I have to tell you, there's my very, that top one is of a dog laying with a, a wrap around her. Now, she, I used her for the cover of my debut novella, and it's called The Privilege of Men. All right and i used her and it was sort of a play on words because she's really such a privileged dog but if you look down on the website and say the privilege of man and novella and you can see it and you can see
0: her as the uh cover of the book wow that image as itself, there, Judith. It's almost like it could be a cover of a Vogue magazine as well, but I've been kind of stylized. It captured her in such a lovely way. She no,
1: posed for me a number of different times, but I just uh, I thought that she would break something to the cover, and the books that, or the book that this started with, the Privilege of Men, it is about the use and abuse of
0: animals and women, all for the privilege of men. Very strong and theme. The human trafficking thriller, is that correct? Yes. It's a thriller. It's a mystery. And
1: we like to say that it's Nancy Drew meets Stephen King. All right? But it really, it's about trafficking of women mm-hmm. and also the abuse of women and animals. And it's a culture... That accepts the and many cultures, almost all cultures abuse animals and they abuse women equally. And in this story, it's really it's just all for money, and that's the basis of everything. The neck and I've even started on a sequel. All right, I self published it and I looked for quite a while for a literary agent. I tried to get a publisher, and then I got over the uh, feeling not being worthy because I couldn't find a publisher, and just decided, I'm just going to self-publish it, and it was really a wonderful ex-colleague of mine. I have to give her a plug, Jerry Lynn Van Zandt, a, a librarian. She helped me format the whole thing, and we just kindle press. And it was one of the hardest things we've ever done, I must say, okay? But we we got it done, and we proofread it
0: a hundred million times and it got finished such a fantastic privilege to have and uh, we'll put the link in the, the details there so that could be purchased worldwide in regards to there Judy you've done so much over the last few years your website is just a whirlwind on each page there's something different and something new to investigate but just on that note is there anything that you'd like to just add or something else that you'd like to let us know well what I would really like I would
1: love after this whole COVID plague is over to be able to show the aisle of the barn to exhibit it in person with it needs an in-person it can't do virtual so that people can actually walk on the
0: aisle and experience it. Definitely. It's the first reference on your podcast list on your website. But would you imagine that completely flat or decides to be up on the wall as it is in the images, how you, you would foresee it? I would like it totally flat because I presented it at uh,
1: different times yeah. and it, it's best if it's absolutely flat. Mm-hmm. And I, when I've done an artist talk, basically it almost becomes a performance because the people who are coming to see it can walk on the aisle, and then while I'm talking and explaining it, they'll sit on the aisle and and on the paths of the different animals. And it was very interesting. I had presented this out at the University of Missouri at an interdisciplinary conference, and one of the women who were sitting there Just like she sat there and she kind of felt around and looked around. And then afterwards, she said, you know, I know now what is she said, I'm a theater major. And she said, I know now what it means to have marks on the floor of the stage of to where you go and the pattern that you follow. And that was something totally alien to me. And I'm sure the Isle of the Barn was alien to her at the time, but it resonated with her incredibly.
0: But on that there, when you make your artworks, you're definitely teaching. You yourself, in in your own career, you, you were a teacher as well. Isn't that right, Judy? That's true. I taught for 32 years. Yes. And it was, I was very
1: privileged to be able to teach art. And uh, they say that if you do something you love, you, you're you not really working. You don't work a day of your life. Mm-hmm. And that's really the way I felt about it. It was, it was a really wonderful experience. And what was very interesting in teaching was I would try to take the, uh, let's say, I would say the idea that I was presenting to the students so everybody could succeed. So, you were not presenting it that only really good artists or very neat people, if you want to say that. You presented it in a way that everybody would get a really positive takeaway and a positive experience. And even for the students that perhaps had no eye hand coordination, the process would be a wonderful experience for them, not the product. Not the product, the, the
0: journey, the journey. Yes, exactly. Well, I definitely think you're teaching through your artworks. And it, it's definitely coming true. and you're taking us all on a journey. It's not just the final finished product, but I, I do think there's a successful end product as well as the journey. Thank you so much, Judy, for an insightful, delightful journey of your artworks and your art practice. Certainly we'll send everyone to your website that you mentioned, www judy Mizuku.com, so that's j-u-d-y-m-a-z-z-u-c-c-o.com it will place the link for your book the privilege of men and avena in the link so that will be a link to the amazon page but judy it was absolutely delightful to speak with you and thank you so much for coming on the show to speak with us
1: oh this has been wonderful i i enjoyed it as well